Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This episode of the For the Love of the Game show on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online. Football may be over for the season, but basketball is full steam ahead. Whether it's NBA or college hoops, we are in the thick of things when it comes to betting basketball. And for the latest odds, totals, player performance props, possibly where the next coach is to be fired and when he's going to land, Bet Online is your number one spot for your sports betting needs. Again, NBA, down the stretch, they come in the regular season. And it's March, which means March Madness is upon us. Conference titles are this week, and Bet Online has you covered. And it's not just basketball. Bet Online is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC. We also have the Vegas casino games. Bet Online has all that you need for your online wagering. Head over to the website or mobile device, sign up today, and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code BLEAVE. That's B-L-E-A-V to get your 50% welcome bonus. Bet online where the game starts. With that said, episode 147 for the love of the game. Let's get this one. Put them up. 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 Hands up. Shawty, when you party with me, we going way back. Score to the three. I said, hands up. I'm good in the VIP. I got my hammer right here with me. I said, hands up. You know when you party with crooks, you gotta learn to respect the jokes. I said, hands up. They think they ain't cool as a fan. And way they ain't sweet as it looks. I said, hands up. You know I'm putting some on me right before I leave out of the car. We came to party. You go to the room. And that me gonna leave out the club with a star. We came to party. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Episode 147 for the love of the game. And we are here, people. It's an exciting time of the year. Super, super exciting time of the year. March Madness is right around the corner. We are in conference tournament week. Going to be a crazy week. Some people say the conference tournament week is even better than March Madness. I don't believe that to be the case, but nonetheless, conference tournaments are awesome, and you know who we're going to have on to tonight's guest because we kind of had March Madness ushered in the last couple of days. I mean, last weekend, we had the top six seeds all losing in one weekend, and this past Saturday night, we had quite a spectacle. Duke UNC in Cameron Indoor, Coach K's last game, and we're going to get into that with a recurring guest. I know you know who that recurring guest is, and you're going to hear a lot of him in the next couple of weeks as we talk about March Madness. But super, super exciting. Can't wait for it all to get started. Can't wait to do our post-selection show episode that's coming probably next Monday. Going to be awesome. Just a couple of topics to hold us over until we get into what happened this past Saturday night and a little college basketball. So this broke today. Kind of a crazy story. We're going to kick it off with the NFL and and Calvin Ridley. So it comes out that Calvin Ridley was suspended for a year for betting on NFL games. This is a wild story. I mean, wild story. It it comes out that he didn't bet a lot. Like, for him to bet $1,500 on anything is nothing. Now, again, Calvin Ridley in the middle of last year took time off. Uh, took a leave of absence to focus on his mental health. So the whole thing is crazy with this. Like, 
I'm actually shocked that this hasn't happened before. And with the legalization of sports betting in multiple different states, I'm shocked that this is not going to happen again. I don't know how he gets caught. The whole thing is kind of wild. If sports betting is going to be legal and the NFL is leaning into this, just like the NBA is, I I don't know why that would merit a year suspension. Uh, If he's not betting on his own team, I I don't get it, but hey, it's a weird story. I I haven't read all the details, but the fact of the matter is that a professional NFL player is getting suspended for betting on NFL games for a year, and it's only a year suspension. It's not more than that. It's just, it's just a crazy story. So that's first and foremost. Second, we've got no real updates in Major League Baseball in terms of the union and the owners coming to an agreement. Now, the last time it was very clear that the players kind of got shafted on their deal. Baseball, the TV rights are coming up. And even with national interest dwindling in baseball, the rates for live programming television uh, are still astronomical. Baseball, the TV deal is going to get an astronomical deal. And the owners are really trying to hold it over the players right now. And normally, I've discussed this topic in the past where I've been a little bit more sympathetic towards the owners because they cut the checks. They're trying to have their cake and eating it too, where they want to have a salary cap to cap the top of the league so the top players don't get as much as they can get, but also use, because there's no cap right now, use the luxury tax as sort of like a cap but also screw the guys at the bottom with the arbitration rules or whatever. And it's really gotten to the point where the owners don't care about the sport that much. They really don't. They, they see it as an investment opportunity. They know that with the, the current deal that the regional sports networks, they're not going to lose money up until about May, I think, May or June, where they're really going to see it affect them. And they're okay just waiting. They're okay with just waiting and beating the players over the heads with this and until the players cave. And I'm not really sure how this gets resolved. The top guys in Major League Baseball have made a ton, a ton of money. Like it was very funny when Max Scherzer, who's one of the great players in the history of baseball and has made hundreds of millions of dollars, rolls up to the meetings in a Porsche and somebody tweets out, look at Max Scherzer's Porsche. And then one of the replies is like, Wait till they find out that Max Scherzer has a home, if not two homes. Just, just ridiculous. Like I, the the owners have to be operating in good faith, and I know that they're the employers and the players are the employees. But if the players are considered really essential employees, which they are, they should be compensated fairly. And there are certain things in the way Major League Baseball works, especially with the arbitration rules and holding guys back to get another year under team control. Like it's really outrageous. So I'm team player right now. I can't express it more clearly than that. The players are getting screwed. I hope that the players don't get screwed and that they don't cave completely and that the owners negotiating good faith. A couple of quick NBA topics before we bring on Jordan Marks in a second. First, the Boston Celtics. I've poo-pooed the Boston Celtics. I've talked about Jason Tatum being overrated. 
I've said all these things. I stand by some of these things. But right now, the Boston Celtics look like a title contender. And all their advanced numbers and projections suggest that Boston is the best team in the East. Now, I don't think that they're the best team in the East, but they've had the best defense over the last five weeks or so. Jason Tatum is putting it together. He's making better decisions with the ball, not just scoring the ball, not just shooting. I mean, his game against the Nets was an absolute masterpiece, getting a 50-piece on the Nets, and the Nets continue to slide. They're now under 500, even with Kevin Durant back, even with Kyrie Irving playing half the games. Ben Simmons is still MIA. Who the hell knows what's going to be with him? But it's just laughable that the Nets are under 500 and are really a good chance to not even make it out of the play-in tournament, depending on what's going on. But this is about the Celtics. The Celtics seem to have turned a corner. They seem to be less one-on-one. They seem to be moving the ball a little bit better. There's better symmetry between Tatum and Jalen Brown. I think the trade of Derek White, bringing him in, who's a ball mover, who just knows how to play basketball and knows how to play good team basketball. Uh, that was a really under-the-radar move at the trade deadline, and it's, it's coming up aces. So kudos to the Boston Celtics. They're playing awesome, awesome basketball. And if I had to push comes to shove, if I had to choose one of these two teams, I would choose the Celtics over the Chicago Bulls. The Chicago Bulls have been a great story. They've exceeded all expectations. They've ex- exceeded my expectations. I did not think they were going to be this good. DeMar DeRozan's had a phenomenal Phenomenal season. Phenomenal season. Will probably be on MVP ballots. He'll get votes. But I'm just not buying this Bulls team. And Friday night was a prime example of that. They host the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, again, there's a caveat. Lonzo Ball hasn't played in a while. Alex Caruso hasn't played in a while. Their prized second-year player, Patrick Williams, was out with injury after the first game. So... They can say that they haven't had their full complimentary players, and that's totally valid. But the Bulls are 0-13 against the top teams in the league. I think the top four conference records, they're 0-13 against those teams. They're just not that level, right? They're just not that level. And as great as DeRozan has been, and he has been excellent, Beyond excellent. I mean, how many game winners? He's And his shooting percentages are off the charts. Having a career year at 32. I just don't buy it as a viable coming out of the East team. I just don't. I don't. I don't think they're better than Milwaukee. I don't think they're better than Philly when Philly's right. I don't think they're better than Miami. I don't think they're better than Boston, quite frankly. I mean, if I had to pick... You know, if there was a Miami, or I should say Chicago, Boston series, I'd pick the Celtics. I'd pick the Celtics. And that doesn't diminish what the Bulls did. Like, they are having an awesome year. Awesome year. And, and not every – now, every team going into the offseason is like either we're going to make moves that are going to put us really in the mix for contention or to win a title, or we're going to go the opposite way. And the Bulls are like – After years of being bad, we want to just be good and then see what happens. And they're being rewarded for that right now because they're going to be solidly in the playoffs. But I just don't think they're a real threat to make the finals. I just don't. I just don't. The Warriors, another team that is solidly in the playoffs right now, they're the two seed in the West, teetering on the three seed. 
They've been like 500 in their last 28 games, 14 and 14. Clay Thompson has come back. He hasn't looked great. He's shooting 37% from three, but he's taken a lot of two-point shots and only shooting about 42% from two. It's been clunky. And the absence of Draymond Green has really reared its ugly head, whether it's on offense and on defense. Draymond Green is the engine that goes. Like, he's their de facto point guard. I know Steph Curry runs the point, but Draymond Green does a lot of the playmaking uh, burden is on him. I should say. Uh, Draymond Green has a lot of the playmaking burden on him. His uh, symmetry with Steph Curry on the court, they just know where each other is going to be. And without him, it's all on Steph Curry to create shots, not just for himself and for others. And it's tough. And it's tough. And I know Draymond doesn't put up big numbers, but I've been on this for years and I maintain this, that Draymond Green, anybody who's saying he's just a glorified role player, doesn't have a clue doesn't have a clue. And this stretch of games where the Warriors are struggling is proof of that. And just remember, just remember, I know it's going to be forgotten because Cleveland came back to win from three games to one down in the 2016 finals. But Draymond Green had 30 over 30 points, about 15 rebounds, and close to 10 assists in that game seven and was the best player on the court, arguably the best player on the court that night. And if the Warriors win, he's probably finals MVP because of that performance. So for anybody who was like, Draymond's only good because he plays with the Warriors, that's not true. That's not true. Draymond is a big reason why the Warriors are the Warriors. And it's showing right now. And now if he gets back, I'm not worried about the Warriors because Draymond's played in big games with Steph Curry. He's played in big games with Klay Thompson. Right now, Klay Thompson's getting his legs back. And you'd rather... Clay Thompson get all the rust out now, but Draymond needs to get back. Back injuries are scary, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. So the latest loss for the Warriors came at the hands of the Lakers. The Warriors played like absolute garbage. LeBron was supernova, dropped 56. Just an incredible performance for him, for somebody that I bag on all the time. Incredible. And then all of a sudden, because LeBron drops 56 and the Lakers finally won a game for the first time in like two weeks. All the Laker fanboys are out. The LA fanboys are out. Oh my God, he's the greatest player of all time. We've never seen anything like this. Yada, yada, yada. I'm not saying he's not great. What he's doing in year 19 is insane. The scoring output, the efficiency. Now, he can he carry a team night in and night out? No, because the Lakers suck. And it's clearly, that's not the case. And that shouldn't be the case. He's 37 years old. You shouldn't have to do that. But when we say the Laker fanboys, when they're, they're out in the streets yelling, we haven't seen anything like this. I'd like to remind everybody, the LeBron fanboys, the Laker fanboys, that at age 40, Michael Jordan in consecutive games scored 51 and then scored 45 the next game. Okay. 96 points in two consecutive games. So let's slow down with we've never seen this before. And that was MJ at 40. LeBron's 37. 37 to 40 is a big difference. So let's relax with the we've never seen this before. LeBron's the GOAT. Michael Jordan is still the greatest player of all time. It's not debatable. There's nothing LeBron is going to be able to do to catch him. And that's okay. You're allowed to be second or third. It's fine. 
It's totally, totally fine. But it's time for him, his team, the Laker fanboys, the LeBron fanboys to come to grips. Speaking of the Lakers, I watched the premiere, I should say the first episode of the HBO show Winning Time about the 80s Lakers. It was really good. Really enjoyed the first episode. Now, there are a couple of inaccuracies, like when Jerry Buss is buying the team, Dr. Buss is buying the team, and he said that it's the Lakers sucked for fans or something. I, that's not true. Before he bought the team, the, the Lakers, you know, they were a boring team, but they had the best player of the decade in Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and they were a play, perennial playoff team. I think they only missed the playoffs once in a decade. They had just were on the heels of winning a title in 72 with Jerry West and Will Chamberlain. Then they traded for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in 75. All right. It didn't suck for Laker fans. Okay. So that was one thing that kind of irked me a little bit. But other than that, you know, the show's excellent. And this is a tough show to cast. I mean, how are you going to cast the guy that can resemble Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, two of the five or six greatest players to ever play, especially given how tall they were and how fluid they were, to cast actors that can do that, that have the basketball chops to do that. So it doesn't look like they've never played a sport before while they're acting in a show about the history of great professional athletes. It's tough. And you know what? Credit to HBO. They absolutely nailed it so far. I'm excited to see this, the rest of the series, but episode one, give it two thumbs up, two thumbs up. One last thing. And we're going to transition here. There was another college basketball game that had my attention. The Yeshiva University Maccabees first round in their NCAA tournament, the national D3 tournament, a tough four point loss in Stockton. Just a tough, tough loss to Johns Hopkins. Uh, Ryan Terrell was sensational. He scored 27 of the 59 points, was awesome. He had a crazy step back three to keep them in the game. And then with about 10 seconds left, he gets the ball, brings it up full court, gets a little bit of pressure, full court pressure, has an up and under move from four feet, and he just missed it. He just missed it to tie the game, and the, the Max lose by four. Just absolutely brutal. I know there was a back and forth on Twitter. It's like, why is he getting it in the backcourt? Why, why, you know, were they inbounding it there? You wanted to save a timeout. And I didn't want anybody else touching the ball. All right. I don't care that he played a lot of minutes. I don't care about the fatigue. That was his moment. All right. He was the best player in division three. That's his moment. He should be the one to dictate the outcome of that game every single time. And he made a great move and got a great look, and he just missed it. I feel for the guy because he played his ass off. He also missed two big free throws. Ofek Reef missed a couple of big free throws. Didn't have a great game from him. Needed more from him. Needed more from Gabe Leifer on the block. But just an incredible run by this Yeshiva Maccabees team. I know Ryan Terrell was the headline, but I got to give love to Gabe Leifer, who preceded Ryan Terrell by one year in his college career. The Maccabees went 92-16. and 16. Absolutely incredible. He is the leading rebounder in the school's history. The leading assist man in the school's history. And he's a power forward slash center. Okay? Incredible. He's one of the five leading scorers in the school's history. It's going to be really, really tough for YU to recapture the magic that this team had the last couple of years. 
You know, guys like Ryan Terrell don't grow on trees. I mean, he's on the NBA scouts radar. Draft Express was tweeting about him. He's on their Instagram page. He's on their TikTok. Like, and Gabe Leifert is another special, special player to go through that school. It, it's going to be really hard to recreate that, but kudos to this iteration of YU basketball. And it was a fun ride, a really, really fun ride for somebody who's an alum, a not so proud alum to watch this team play was a real pleasure. And I hope, I hope that Ryan Terrell gets drafted in the second round. I don't think he's going to, I do think he's going to play summer league. I believe he has one year of eligibility left, but I think he's got a decision to make how much more tape he wants to put out there. If he gets exposed, he doesn't want to risk injury. I mean, he's, he, he's really got, you know, pro aspirations and whether it's here in the NBA or in the G league or where I think he's going to end up playing professionally in Israel, like in one of the top leagues there, it's just an incredible, incredible story. What an incredible run by the Y.U. Maccabees. And with that said, got to give them their flowers before I bring on Jordan Marks. And we're going to talk about what happened Saturday night in Durham, among other things, in just a matter of moments. I teased it in the monologue. This guy is basically going to be a co-host the next month for the most part. We're starting a little bit of a week early. We normally do our March Madness show right after the bracket is unveiled after Selection Sunday. But there was a major spectacle in college basketball that happened this past Saturday night. Coach K's final game in Cameron Indoor, and Duke took an L. And so I, we needed to talk about it. We needed to talk about it. So you know who it is. It's everybody's favorite up-and-coming college sports analyst, Jordan Marks. Jordan, what's good, bro? How we doing? We're doing great. We're doing great. I'm so happy. Uh that we're getting to talk early, but, um, you know, these next few weeks are just such a big part of my, my life. I love college sports, so this is going to be awesome. Um, but we obviously had a, quite an event this weekend. And uh, I remember when I came back in November and we talked about, you know, Kay's last stand and how it might overshadow the, the events of the actual season and, and affect the, the product. And we'd be throwing up in our mouths all season long. It doesn't seem like that was the case at all, which is which is positive. But this weekend, there was no no stopping how monstrous of an event this was going to be in Durham, and it just ended up really kind of comically. <laughs> so, for those who don't know, UNC comes into Cameron Indoor, Kay's last home game. Tickets were going for like five thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars on the secondary market. Just absurd, right? To see a, a guy coach a basketball game. Uh, UNC is Duke's bitter rival. Coach K was one in four in his previous five games against UNC in Cameron Indoor in March. And what do you know? The unranked UNC Tar Heels, and I am a die-easy UNC Tar Heels fan. I'll admit I haven't kept up as much as I, I have in the past couple of years. Come into Cameron Indoor, against number four ranked Duke and pull off the upset. I was on the Peloton while it was happening. Uh, what were your reactions when the actual game was happening and how surprised were you by this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, surprised, absolutely surprised. I, it was, it, had it not been for yesterday's Nebraska, Wisconsin game, which whatever we could talk about at some point, but that would be easily the biggest upset of the weekend. I mean, they were 11 and a half point favorites. That's crazy. Um, but the first, just 
the event itself it was insane. I mean, there there was a, an hour long pregame thing that they had with all the players. I think half of his half of his former players were at the game. Um, everybody it was a who's who of celebrity row uh, in Cameron Indoor. It was just crazy pressure on these players. So that's one thing. Uh, the basketball game was almost an afterthought. I mean, this is a team vying for a one seed against a, a, a middling ACC team at, at, at best. So, yeah, but you kind of knew that was going to be the case. I mean, come for on. Sh- it, 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 for in sure. fairness. For sure. I mean, on, on the one hand, it was hilarious. I mean, just a cataclysmic disaster leading to this awkward post-game moment, having these players come back out of the locker room after they lose this game looking so distraught, like they just got eliminated from the NCAA tournament, to Coach K in the middle of the floor screaming at everyone saying, no, this was not good enough. Please be quiet. Like, he was pissed off. Obviously, he should have been pissed off. They just let a team that they should have beaten easily, and they did route them in Chapel Hill a few weeks ago. Um, And, and yeah, that was just so awkward. But the game itself, I mean, talking about the game itself for a little – in the first half, Paolo was incredible. Uh, he clearly showed his multitude of ways that he's going to be scoring at the next level. Um, but they just let UNC keep chomping at it. Uh, those last three minutes, they were up 10 with like three minutes left in the first half, and they just couldn't stick with whether it was Brady Manick or RJ Davis or Caleb Love. They were just all getting letting them back in the game where it was up by two. And then the second half was more of the same. It was Brady Manick hit five threes. R.J. Davis would hit a big shot every time that UNC needed one. And then Paolo, Paolo struggled himself. He went 4-13 in the second half. Um, and, yeah, it was just it was just a, a terrible, terrible, terrible result. And it kind of puts a damper on their season, to be honest, because this event was so big. So let, let's start with the pregame stuff, right? Because there's a lot to unpack here. And, and we'll just start from the beginning. What did you think of – and, again – you know, Shashevsky is, if you want to, I, I think he's the greatest coach in the history of the sport. I mean, people are going to say John Wooden. It's a different game. It's harder now than it was then. Like, Wooden had the monopoly. Kay has had to go through a lot more. Whatever, fine. Well, that's a debate for another time. But And, and you knew that there was going to be the love fest on ESPN. Like, you, you knew it. So what did you make of, of the pregame show even before the slate of college basketball games? Because you had a triple header, right, at, with Duke UNC being the nightcap, right, that started yeah. at 6 p.m. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think worst-case scenario for ESPN was that, that Texas-Kansas game went into overtime. So they had to bump the pregame to ESPN2 or, like, I guess the app if you had. Not only that, it was the start of the game basically was on ESPN2 <laughs> yeah. or on ESPN+, Plus, where they didn't even have it. It was just like – it's like we couldn't take care of business earlier, which – and Texas-Kansas was a crazy game. But it was an awesome game, yeah. Awesome honestly. game. But what did you think of the, the coverage leading up to that game in terms of, like, you know, the college basketball countdown? Um, I, I mean, I, I thought it was obviously over the top, but but it, but deserving. I mean, you're like you said, he deserves everything he has. He's he is probably I, to me, he's the best coach ever to coach in the game. But um, yeah, for sure, over the top. Um, the, the whole thing with the former players. I mean, that that was crazy. Um, I 
I still think that it's a little weird that Zion wasn't there. I mean, he didn't have a game that day. Well, Zion's been off the grid to everybody and anybody. Like, that's a predominant storyline in the NBA that I've touched on a bunch. But, like, Zion's just off the grid, right? Like, he, we, no one knows how in shape he is. No one knows how injured he is. No one knows how much he weighs. Like, he's just – like, he, he basically ghosted – CJ McCollum, who was just traded to them to help them make a playoff push. By the way, CJ McCollum is like the president of the Players Association. Like, you don't go CJ McCollum. It's just weird. Zion's acting crazy. I don't want to talk about I don't want to turn into a Zion conversation, but I do think that he is one of the five best players that Coach K ever coached. Uh, there's no denying that. So it's like, how what, where is he? That was weird for me. Really? I, I, I don't five best players he's ever coached. I'm going to, you want me to quickly, I could quickly, I, I think in some order, Grant Hill, Christian Leitner, uh, maybe Jay Williams. And, and I think Zion's in that conversation. Um, maybe Danny Ferry. Uh, I'm trying to think one of, you know, the, I, I, he's up there. He's up there. He's, Redick? He's yeah. I mean, he's, I mean, Reddick's going to be in there. Um it's 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 a it's a long list of accomplished college players, but Zion's clearly one of them. So Shane uh, <laughs> keep going, but it's anyway. It was it was just odd to me, but anyway, that's this is about K, and it, it was a whole. It really was. It was over the top, but again, deserving. So. So now we move on to the game. I agree with you. I mean, I mean, what are you going to do? Like it, it, he. As much as Coach K has become a caricature of himself, and and there was more of that towards the end of this game, and in the um, and in the post game, uh, you know, ceremony that we'll talk about. But you got to show the guy love. I mean, he's the greatest ever dude, and he's walking away. So now the game the game starts. You said Duke was up by ten. I'm like. And North Carolina was kind of like staying in it. It kind of looked like they were piecing it together with like sticks and glue. And you're just like, I can't believe that they're in this game. Um, And I even texted you. I was like, I am shocked that this is even close. Like it was that close at the half. I was like, if Duke runs away with it in the second half, like I I was expecting a 15 point defeat. However, it was close to a 15 point defeat, except UNC did the ass kicking in the second half. And it was just so wonderful. It was so wonderful as a die easy UNC fan to see it. And, and you just, the faces in the crowd watching their sphincters tighten. And then for them to just be sad, like Christian Leitner, so sad in the, in the, uh, they saw him in the camera, in the crowd. He was distraught. Elton Brand, so sad, just sadness everywhere. It was just wonderful. And, yeah, and you're you're just saying like the the former the former um, alumni is one thing, but I love seeing the Cameron crazies sad. I think it's so funny. I think it's the most it's the greatest collection of pathetic losers out there. So it's just it's it, it they them just crying and the blue paint running down their faces. There's nothing better. It's it was probably some freshman girl who's never been to a game before doesn't even know how to like any of the history, but Hey, we're going to do a group hug thing. We're going to sway back and forth. And now he's losing and we're going to cry about it. It's great stuff. It was just, 
Oh, it was so satisfying. So absolutely satisfying. I mean, listen, it, as for the game itself, I mean, Paulo had a, had a weird second half, did not show up in the second half, didn't shoot the ball well. It, it kind of exposed Duke in a sense where I'm just a little skeptical of their three-point shooting in big spots. And again, we're going to probably preview them a little bit more as we talk about their region and, and whatever region they end up in and, and previewing the tournament. But their three-point shooting, even with as explosive as their, their guards could be, I just think that their three-point shooting can come and go. And it, it's just not a great three-point shooting team. And Paolo, yeah, he's going to be a top three pick in the NBA draft, but I'm not sure. I, I almost don't know what position he's going to play. Maybe he's going to play a, like a power forward, but I, I, I have my doubts about him as an NBA athlete um in the next level but all right so be that as it may duke's still gonna be a one or a two seed uh well still on track to be a one seed if they win the acc tournament and we're gonna forget about this game ever happened and then there was the post-game ceremony and before we start with the post-game ceremony i'll say this i just want to get it out there i agreed that if there was going to be a bigger ceremony it had to be post-game because you can't do that pregame, especially knowing how drawn out it was going to be, and distract the kids from the game. Now, this was going to be a distraction regardless, but you can't have the hour, hour and a half long ceremony pregame because it throws up the warm-up and everything. Fine. Having said that, given what happened in the game, now again, you can't play the result, it was just, it was something. It was it was a spectacle. It was awkward, and it was great. So, what were your thoughts about it? Yeah, I texted you early on in the post game, and I was like, man. And, and when they walked out, I was like, oh, whose idea was it to do this after the game? But then it was longer. And then you're right. Yeah, there's no way you could have done a pregame. But oh man, that was weird. <laughs> it was so, so weird. weird. And, and again, it was unavoidable, was. right? It was unavoidable given that the send-off that he was going to get, it's unavoidable. Just like them honoring him with like a bench and then like he, there's a picture of the bench and then he just claps with his weird clap. <laughs> it's just, it, it was so weird. And then obviously the weirdest part was just his opening. And I said it earlier where he's just like telling everyone to be quiet and he's kind of apologizing for the loss. <laughs> it was just, it was, oh, it was I, I really just mostly, it was absolutely I mostly perfect. Felt bad for, yeah, I mostly felt bad for the players, though. Like, I don't know if they, like, this had to come out and just, like, egg on their face kind of thing. But I, I think, you know, they have enough love for their coach that I don't think it was going to bother them a tremendous amount. <laughs> I'll say this, though. If you looked at Paolo's face, throughout the entire thing. And I was like, and they focused on him a little bit. And it was just like behind those eyes was somebody who was thinking, man, I don't have to deal with this shit. I'm going to be a millionaire in five months, many times over. Like what? Is, I don't need to deal with this. Unbelievable. Absolutely. So what was your favorite part of the post game? Was it the speech? Was it the fact that it just was a perfect blend of we just lost but we have to do this to honor coach k was it the crying and the swaying in the stands was it you know or choice d all of the above i think it's all of the above just the total awkwardness i mean once they won the game i was like oh 
this is going to be something else because nobody was expecting this. It's going to get quiet and weird. <laughs> would it have been, do you think it would have been more insufferable had they won the game? Or was this just like everything you would have, you know, you were dreaming of? I don't even know if I would have watched it if they won the game. <laughs> Once they lost, it was must-see TV. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, the hate. The absolute hate. It's so good. It's absolutely amazing. The the, the swaying of the fans in the stands is just awesome. Uh, You know, arms locked, hand in hand, just so, so good. So, so good. With that being said, as much as I hate Duke, and it's just, you know, it's one of the all-time evil, you know, villainous empires of sports i do think i will end up rooting for shire at some point down the road um i don't know if i'll root for duke but you know shire good jewish boy and i think i'm gonna end up being in his corner so we'll see we do root for the members of the tribe on this podcast (laughs) um but so coach k obviously you know the resume speaks for itself but like and he's had this this persona in the media that he's like, you know, the ultimate classy guy, right? That like, you know, Coach K is all, he's not just about getting results on the court, but it's, it's molding young men. It's the whole thing. And, and to a degree, it's probably true. But then he has one of his moments, whether it was, you know, in the past, freaking out at a student newspaper writer. Uh, we, we've had that, uh, we've talked about that. Um, we've talked about him being a little ownery when he loses and, and a little bit of a sore loser. Did you notice the handshake line? Did you notice the handshake line? What happened? A little it, snub to UNC's coach, Hubert Davis. It was actually, it wasn't him. It was his assistant, but it was still a snub nonetheless. And it was, it's just stupid. It, it's so, I'm so coach K doing coach K things where it's like, you know, he, why we hate Coach K so much is is the holier than thou aspect of it all, and he just continues to you know. You know me. I'm done with talking about handshake lines. Well, yeah, I, I can understand why why that's the case. But yeah, so the the whole thing was just great. It was it was so great. And again, had Duke won the game, we probably wouldn't have done a 15 minute segment on it. But they didn't win the game. And it was awkward, so we we had to rub it in Duke's face because it, it was wonderful. I mean, you know, Harris sent the video best, and you said you, that you forwarded to me of uh, stomping on the Sports Illustrated cover, which made me laugh. So yeah, obviously we had to rub rub dirt in Duke's face. So I, I wanted to ask you a question, obviously on the eve of uh, conference tournament play, and obviously some of the conference tournaments have already started. You know, the smaller tournaments, but. Looking ahead, so which conference can improve its stock the most with a big conference tournament? Not necessarily for somebody who's going to be stealing a bid of the at-large bids. And for those who don't know that what that means, is basically a team making a Cinderella run, winning their conference tournament and getting an automatic bid. But, you know, for teams that are on the bubble, right, which conference can gain the most at-large bids with an impressive showing at their tournament? Right. So I think that um, the stronger conferences have such good computer numbers that 
most of the teams that are in are kind of already in. I mean, there's a few that have, you know, the Big 12 and the Big 10 and the SEC have like one or two teams on the bubble. So um, I don't think they're necessarily going to improve or, you know, um, lessen their stock come conference tournament season. Um, but I would say the Atlantic 10, but I don't think you care about the Atlantic 10 or anyone listening cares about the Atlantic 10. But um, because they have a lot of bubble teams, whether it's, you know, Richmond, St. Bonaventure, Dayton, Davidson, those are, these are all teams that are close to the field, but um, let's just stick talking about the ACC because the ACC had a really down year. Um, Duke safely in the field, Notre Dame safely in the field. And after this weekend, I think North Carolina is pretty safely in the field, um, probably on like the nine, 10 seed line. Um, but- By the way, I do think UNC could be a very interesting you know, higher seed that can make some noise and potentially, again, depending on how it all shakes uh, out, can be a sweet 16 team. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but the rest of the, the rest of the teams ha- have, have work to do uh, this week in Brooklyn. So Wake Forest, Miami, Virginia Tech, um, they're, they're all on the bubble and they need to win games. So uh, th- this is an important weekend for them. Florida State and Virginia are not on the bubble. They're out of the tournament right now. But those are big programs with Hall of Fame coaches. So they're always lurking. Um, and then I just I just love the ACC tournament because it's the first real power conference tournament. It starts tomorrow, Tuesday. So um, and it, get, it really gets going Wednesday, Thursday, and then, you know, it's over by, by before Sunday, which is awesome. So um, I think the Thursday is going to be the day to watch, those Thursday day games. Um, you could potentially have Duke, Florida State, Miami, Wake, uh, and that's a loser goes home matchup. Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, where Virginia Tech absolutely has to win that game. And then UNC, Virginia, um, in a game that, again, Hubie would really love to have uh, to really feel comfortable. So I think ACC can span anywhere from as low as three to potentially six or seven teams in the field. So right now, Lenardi has them with five entries, five okay. entries, which, and well, uh, the other question I have is, is the Big East back? Because right now, Lenardi has got them with seven teams, right? Nice. Now, the Big East had a crazy reshuffling. All, you know, a couple of classics are no longer in the Big East. Syracuse in the ACC, and they had an, a dreadful year. Like, the, the Big East that we remember from our high school days, you know, it is gone. But right now, it seems like it's had a resurgence. Villanova's yeah. won two titles in the last five years. So they're always in the mix. I mean, they're a blue blood program, right? Yeah. The Georgetown thing last year, obviously it didn't translate this year, but yeah, the no, Georgetown thing last year, you have UConn has had a resurgence. Providence. Providence, won the, won the Providence has had a crazy year. I mean, is the big East back? I, I mean, the big East is definitely back. Um, yeah. Syracuse and Louisville aren't even on the NCAA tournament radar this year. Um, but and they're in the ACC now. So, uh, yeah, Providence, super impressive season. Um, they won the league. I mean, they, they're ama- they, they had a really, really fantastic season. Uh, Villanova and UConn were really picked as, at the top of the league. Villanova's always going to be awesome, and I bet more people picked them to win the Big East tournament than Providence, uh, just because senior-laden team, Colin Gillespie, Justin Moore, household names. Um, so they're awesome. UConn, yeah, Dama Sonogo, they have another good, big, uh, who really uh, pounds the glass. And then, you know, Creighton, 
Seton, Seton Hall, also great teams, um, good shooting. Seton Hall, also really good squad. And then Marquette, Shaka Smart, you know, in his first year, really impressive season. Um, so, yeah, I think that the Big East is is a very strong conference. Uh, it's, prob- it's definitely stronger than the ACC. It's probably also stronger than the PAC at this point. So um, probably a top four conference. Uh, really awesome year for them. When talking about Providence, right, um, and you're one of the smarter college basketball fans that I know, uh, that I talk to regularly, Providence won a lot of games close. The advanced analytics don't love Providence. But at a certain point, like, you win games, right? Wins are wins, right? Like, you know, it's not always just what it looks like on paper. Wins are wins. So where do you stand on, like, the analytics in college basketball versus playing purely results in terms of looking at the teams and, and how they stack up. Yeah. I, I, I've had this conversation with someone else about Providence and, and Wisconsin to the same effect right. because Wisconsin also the analytics don't like them and they shared the big 10 title. Right. So um, the analytics are very important. I mean, if it, what, it, what it really means is if, if you take a 30 game season and make it a 60 game season, do they really win their conferences? Probably not from what, what the numbers show. So we don't know, but, but that's not the reality of the situation. It's not, it's not the reality. They put their, themselves in a really great situation where they're going to have, a, you know, a second, a second weekend seed where they are going to be heavily favored to be in the sweet 16. And then from there, it's purely matchup based, but Providence itself. I mean, this is a senior laden team with good guards and, um, and Ed Cooley is a fantastic coach. So I, I, I think that's that's super important. Um, they, they play a slower tempo, grinded out type of game, but uh, so that could lead to a lower possession game, which which you know creates some of those computer issues. Um, but I do think that uh, Providence has put himself in a, as good of a situation as possible. But are, you're saying are they ripe for an upset? Uh, potentially, yeah, because uh, they they did play a lot of games close, and whether it's a an, a, a bad call one way or you know a turnover or something that just causes the game at the end of the um at the end of the, the contest and that that's what gives them the win and yeah that 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 could be tough in a single elimination tournament it's not even so much that are they primed for an upset because again a lot of that's going to be determined on where the committees you know puts teams right and where they put providence and, and who's in their region and stuff it's more about like at one point do we overvalue the analytics, right? And, and this is like across all sports. Like at a certain point, you know, we're not counting cards, right? It, it's not blackjack. We're not counting cards. Like there's an emotion to this. Like the, there, there are things beyond just like, you know, what we can predict almost in terms of the numbers. And I don't know. It's just like people who like were dumping on Providence, like, Stop dumping on Providence. Like they, they they won games, right? Like the goal is to win, and they won. Same with Wisconsin. So it's just it's just weird like that. Um, next question I had for you. Okay, so the ACC usually a really powerful conference. Down this year, right? The um, you know the SEC is is okay. You know Big Twelve is top heavy. So what do we do? with the mid-majors now, like how much mid-major respect is there going to be come, you know, next Sunday, given where the the cream of the crop comes from? Yeah. I mean, the cream of the crop is still going to come from 
from those top five leagues. Let's not even include the ACC, right? So, but, um, the, but the depth beyond the cream of the crop of like the top four or five teams is not great in the in the Power Five conferences. So does the uh, mid major get? Agreed, but the, the Big 12, the SEC, the Big 10, and the Big East are still going to take up so many bids um, that you it, it's very difficult to make this tournament as an at-large because there's only about 30 teams that do it. And those conferences take three-fourths of those bids. So um, when you're talking about mid-majors, it really has to be from like the Mountain West or the A-10 that I mentioned. So I don't like I consider those mid mid-majors, I guess. But when you're talking about schools like um, like Boise State or Colorado State or Dayton and Davidson, I mean they're they're not necessarily they're they're mid-majors, but they also play in like real revenue generating conferences versus like you know a mid a Cinderella conference, right? Like the Horizon or the Big Sky or something. Um, so you're you're right in that. You know, there, there are going to be some mid-majors, let's call them that. But still, the big conferences eat up so many bids. Last question. And we wanted to leave a little bit of meat on the bone, and there's going to be plenty of it for when uh, Selection Sunday comes. But last question is, where are you at with Michigan right now? They're kind of on the bubble. Had uh, It was promising early on, you know, preseason, ranked in the top 10. Hasn't really resulted that way. Uh, your, your coach likes to face mush guys in the handshake line, which is why you're done talking about it. Where are you at with Michigan right now? Yeah. Um, really up and down season. I mean, it wasn't positive early on. It was positive before the season started. Uh, we were, yeah. Coming into the season, preseason ranked like number six overall, which is, but at this time we expect to be talking about one seed potentially not whether we're going to actually make the field. Um, I do think though, that they're probably in the field. Um, I think what we, what the preseason ranks don't take into account is um, how good the departing players are. And I think what we can see from Franz Wagner in the league is that what he did for this team in terms of both shot making and defensive flexibility um, was irreplaceable. Um, You combine that with some McDonald's all Americans, not being McDonald's all Americans um, in their freshman year, and, and you just reduce the experience of the team significantly, you have a really young team that has to go through growing pains, uh, and, and they do it, and they have to go it through it right away against teams like Arizona, Seton Hall, UNC. They got destroyed in Chapel Hill. Um, and then you play in one of the toughest conferences in America, and you, you, you're asking for it. So with that being said, they had a big win yesterday at Ohio State without Hunter Dickinson. Big win, big Um, win. So that was a big quad one win. And I I do think that they're probably in the field if the season ended today. I think to feel really comfortable, beat Indiana on Thursday uh, in the the first round of Big Ten tournament, and you'll you'll be safely in. But, you know, this is not last year's team. This is not a team going to the Elite Eight by any any metric. But uh, I'm just happy if they make the field at this point. And you're happy that I think that Coach Harbaugh is back. And you're still yes. you're still glowing from college football, so I, you know whatever it's fine. I am, I am. The whole the whole dance with the NFL though was not fun for me. Not fun for you, which is funny because I think last year we spoke about would you be upset if you went to the NFL? You're like I I think I think it can go and it'd be fine. 
<laughs> exactly. Well, <laughs> you got a restructured contract and he's staying now for good. Well, Jordan, I, we are going to be on this podcast a lot the next couple of weeks. It's going to be fun. I can't wait to talk about the selection once it happens. We do our rapid reactions and it's going to be great. But yeah, needed to get your take about the Duke UNC spectacle. And we, we were pretty much in line, which is what I kind of expected, but it was still fun nonetheless. Looking forward to having you throughout the next couple of weeks and uh, speak to you soon. Thanks so much for doing it. All right. Take care. Later. Thanks again to recurring guest, Mr. Jordan Marks, for coming on to talk about the Coach K ceremony, UNC kicking the crap out of Duke and Durham in his last game and other college basketball things. Jordan is basically going to be a co-host of this podcast the next couple of weeks, so expect a lot more from him. That's episode 147 for the love of the game. Take us out, Lloyd Banks. You got to learn to respect the jokes. I said, hands up. They think they ain't cool as a fan. And they sweet as it looks. I said, hands up. You know I'm putting some on me right before I leave out of the car. We came to party. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube